Hey coaches, you are listening to the 323 Sports Podcast, where you can keep up with breaking news in the team sports industry, enjoy fun interviews with coaches, and gain insight on how to build your athletic program. On this episode, we were honored to have Keith Champion, an NCCAA Hall of Fame coach, as our guest on the podcast. He has over 40 years of coaching experience and currently works as an assistant men's basketball coach at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. Take a listen to what he has to say about how the game of basketball is more than just X's and O's. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Keith Champion. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and, and join with us. Well, I'm just glad to do it, Travis, and uh, uh, just looking forward to the time we have together today. Yeah, alongside me, we got Keith Rogers here, another Keith uh, name. Uh, how do you feel about that, Keith and Keith? I feel, I feel great about it because I don't meet too many Keiths out there, um, but – this Keith is a great Keith, so I, I'm very happy to share a name with him, and um, it's, very, it's it's definitely an honor. What do you call that? What do you call? Is it namesake? What did he say? Like you're my namesake or something? What is? I don't know, but if I had to have a namesake out there, I don't know if I've met another Keith that has uh, <laughs> the impact that this Keith has. So I, I'm very uh, I'm very appreciative to share that name. Oh, that. Keith Champion, you are you happy with the fact that uh, you're talking with another Keith right now? <laughs> hey, that, that's great. There's not there's not a lot of us around, so anytime we can meet one, uh, <laughs> man, we're we're bonded. We're joined at the hip. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> love that. So, Keith, can you give us a little bit of uh, background on yourself? Uh, kind of like uh, maybe your hometown where you grew up, um, and then maybe a few jobs that led up to the job that you have now at Bob Jones. Um, yes. you can just dive right in. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was born in, uh, born in Michigan in, in the Kalamazoo area. Uh, my, uh, my dad was a, a farmer and so we grew up in a country and just, uh, I just enjoyed that so much and got involved in high school sports. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, most of us played three sports. And so just enjoyed that tremendously. And that kind of led me into my that desire to want to coach. And so I went to Western Michigan University where I got a bachelor's and master's degree in physical education and uh, started coaching as soon as I graduated, went back to my old high school and, and coached for seven years. Uh, I was a football coach, uh, cross-country coach, track coach, uh, also uh uh, learned to love basketball uh, during that time. And uh, from there, I got into Christian uh, colleges and Christian education, which at that time I really didn't know a lot about. And so over the over the years, I've coached uh, uh, 18 years in high school and uh, 24 years in, in college. And I, I was fortunate wow. to, uh, to coach at some good Christian colleges before – uh, I thought I was going to retire, and then uh, Coach Uwaro and Bob Jones uh, gave me a call and said, hey, why don't you be semi-retired and just come and be on our <laughs> staff at, at Bob Jones? So uh, I'm not sure too many people moved to be a part-time coach, but we felt it was the Lord's will and, and just excited that we're here. 
That's great. That's awesome. Bob Jones is lucky to have you. They definitely are. So what what led up uh, to your position at Bob Jones, and, and can you tell us what your role is there? Well, I'm, I'm an assistant coach uh, to the head coach. I do a lot of uh, mentoring with players. Uh, when the when the coaches uh, chew them out, I go behind and pat them on the back and encourage them. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we meet with the players every week, and that, that's a – uh, certainly an enjoyable part of the job for me. And we, uh, uh, part of my job is just uh, uh, just encouraging the coaches and just giving the coaches feedback when they ask. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just an enjoyable time for me at this point in my life. Uh, when I quit coaching after 40 years, uh, you both know that I went for six years and was an assistant at uh, the, the NACA, the National Association of Christian Athletes in Dayton, Tennessee, where I worked for a former player, uh, Dave Secura. And, um, you know, I thought my coaching days were done. So when we told Dave we are going to retire, um, you know, uh, Burton called me shortly after. And, and uh, so I'm just thrilled to be able to go back on the court at this stage of my life. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. You got a lot of experience down there on the court side, which is invaluable. I feel for any program to have somebody like you with a vast amount of years of experience. Which, through experience, I feel you can only learn so much by you know by just saying things. But living through the coaching years of that you did, I feel like you got a lot of wisdom from, uh, and it can help players you know see that hopefully, which is great. Um, so today, I mean, we're, we're kind of just talking about like, you know, what has changed, like the nature of the game and maybe some of the changes that you've seen that take place over the years that you've been coaching. Um, and you know, the intangibles as well. So like, what are some things that maybe not are physical things, but behind the scenes, little things that intangibles that can keep, you know, keep a team together. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about today. And what are the, you know, to start out, what are some changes, changes that you've seen throughout the years, just by the nature of the game? Um, maybe since you've been coaching in high school or something like that way back when, um, and then what are some, what are some changes that you've seen so far? All right. Well, you know, I was a big, uh, I, I was a big reader of, of sports history and especially, uh, basketball history. So I'm going to go back a little bit before my time and, uh, you know, just, just tell whoever's listening to this today that, you know, back in the thirties, uh, there were, there were no three seconds and, and guys like George Mikan, one of the first big men in basketball, he could post up right in the middle of the lane. And that's where we get our Mike and layups from. If you've ever been to a basketball camp, uh, you've yep. probably done Mike layups, and it's yep. a little hook shot, and uh, that that came out of just a no second, a no three second call in the lane. So he would go left sometimes and go right, and uh, was a dominant player. And because of George Mikan, the, the uh, three second rule came up, and so that really changed <laughs> the game. Uh, hmm. My probably my hero in coaching uh, would be John Wooden. 
And uh, I read that when John Wooden was in high school, now just, just think about this. John Wooden in high school, they had a center jump after every field goal. So it'd be like the kickoff every, the kickoff after every touchdown. And he said uh, one year they played someone that had a huge center. And so they would win the tip or the other team that had the center would win the tip, go down and score, and it would come back and be a jump ball. They'd win the tip, <laughs> go down and score, and come back and be a jump ball again. So uh, the game has obviously changed from there. And then, then there used to be no 10-second line. So when, when a team wanted to stall, they could use the whole court to stall. And oh, wow. because of rules like that, uh, the games back before my time were very, very low scoring. Mm -hmm. yeah. then, then I was thinking about when, when I was in high school, uh, we still had jump balls. Now, we, we, yeah. today, they, when there's a tie-up, uh, it's a jump ball. And I'm sure people wonder where that comes from, but uh, we dive into – on the floor and we tie somebody up and you would jump, you would have a jump to the circle closest to you. It might be at one of the foul lines or it could be a center court. And so we had to work a lot on plays out of a jump ball situation. We had, we had a number of plays that we'd try to run during jump balls. Hmm. Um, another thing, uh, when I was playing, there was, there was one shot for every common foul before the bonus. So hmm. let's say the opening tip of the game, there was a foul right away. Now that player would go down and shoot one free throw. And you'd do that hmm. up until the bonus, until there was a one-on-one. And, and that was oh, – wow. that changed when I started coaching. Would you go still ahead. keep the ball after that one free throw? No, no, they didn't go the other way. Okay, so if a guy got fouled early on, he would go shoot one free throw, and then the they wouldn't keep the ball. The other team would get the ball? The other team would get the ball. So let's say I got the ball off uh, off of the jump ball to start the game, and you came up yeah. and guarded me too closely, there'd be a one-shot foul. Oh. <clears throat> and then uh, – then during those days, palming the ball was called much more frequently. It's really not even called today because of the, the excellent ball handling that we have today. But uh, if you didn't have your hand on top of the ball, uh, it was called palming the ball. So those, those things changed the game even when I went into uh, coaching myself. And then um, – then I saw just in college, the three-point line coming in back in the 80s, uh, then the shot clock, and, and the years that I was coaching college, the, the shot clock has gone from 45 seconds to 35 and then down to 30. Yeah. So I guess my last comment on that would be, uh, for rule-wise, would be with, with all the changes in rules, uh, came a lot of changing in coaching philosophy and strategy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So what? Then, Sorry, are you going to go well, ahead? I'm, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to add just player wise how players have changed 
over the years. Uh, they're, they're more agile today. Hmm. Uh, back when I first started coaching, Pete Maravich was – uh, he was the man in college basketball, and he and his dad had all of these ball handling drills. So I can remember starting to do those with my teams back in the early 70s. And I may have had like one good ball handler on the team. So your offense was built around passing the ball a whole lot more. Hmm. And today, just about everybody that's on the court can handle the ball. So that's changed the game. Uh, there's more developmental camps today um, with social media and TV. You know, players are just immersed in basketball. If they love basketball, they can they can learn a lot uh, from video, <clears throat> social media, and um, through through a lot of games on TV. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That those are really like for for kids like you know who or a lot young and just, you know, learning the game, like they don't realize how much the game has changed since the beginning. Um, and it's just kind of crazy to go through the history of it um, and how, what rules have changed. And, and like you said, you mentioned like sometimes the coaching philosophies have to change in some ways because of all the actual changes in rules, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, for instance, I think, I think of one that's kind of almost like a, maybe an ethical question would be like the intentional foul, you know, like, is that, you know, is that an ethical thing to do or is that just part of the game? You know, that, that could be like a whole nother podcast type thing, but uh, I think right. it's just an interesting question, you know, well, uh, that, talking about that, uh, the original rule that you were talking about where, you know, you got fouled and you got an immediate free throw up until the one and one, you know, yeah. If you had a bad free throw shooter, I mean, it's almost advantageous to foul that guy. He only gets one free throw. You know, it's probably a good chance he misses and you get the ball right back. But how did they were? How did they favor intentional fouls back then? Was it was it really ever done, or was it just kind of always? Yeah, yeah. yeah there was there was no such thing as an intentional foul. Okay, uh, I can remember a game when. When I was uh, coaching in a public school, uh, I was a 10th grade coach, and then I, I was assistant coach on the varsity that we went and played a school, and they put a guy in, in their lineup against our star player, and his whole purpose was to foul him every time he got the ball in the first half. Yeah. And this player fouled him at halftime, and, they, and the coach felt he did his job. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and so that was part of that strategy. Um, so, well, like, let's say back then you identified a very bad free throw shooter on their team, and you and and you did the the hack a shack or the you you kept found and put him on the line. Would that have been looked on as a good strategy, or people would have people said that's like shady? Well, I can't I can't really remember where where really that was a part of a coaching strategy so much. Okay. And, um, but I think, I think why it got changed was because it just slowed the game down. Yeah. Instead mm-hmm. of just, instead of just taking the ball out of bounds, they you had walked down the other end of the court and shot a free throw and it just really slowed the game down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, you see a lot of just every sport nowadays is getting quicker. 
like the rules that are changing because people, I think because of social media, I think it's maybe an indirect effect of people's attention spans. People just want movement and like, you know, everybody's like, for instance, the shot clock, like it's, it was at what, 45 to 35. Then now it's 30. Yeah. Like everything's getting quicker. The players I feel like are getting quicker, more ball handling you know, skills are out there. Um, it's just a faster paced game too. Wouldn't you agree from back then? I, I, tremendously so. I, I can remember a game that I coached in Minnesota when we had a 45-second shot clock, and we, we got invited as a so-called weak sister to a NAIA tournament. And, uh, and, and we were the weakest team there. <clears throat> so I decided in this game against these NAI schools that – we would just we would stall and hold the ball and run a delay offense down until ten seconds, and run one set, and and hopefully get a good shot. And I, I remember vividly in that tournament we we lost both those games by two points, mm-hmm. holding their score down. And we in both those games we had a shot at the buzzer that could have won it, and we missed the shot. Oh, but that was it. With the 45-second clock, you could have that strategy. Yeah. You could still have kind of a delay game. But uh, when it moved down to 35 and 30, it really changed that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's very intriguing. I feel a lot of listeners would like to probably maybe research some more history about the rules changes and when they took place. It's very interesting. And who knows? Maybe there's going to be like a five-pointer at half court. Stephen Kerr, I feel like he's always pushing the envelope. (laughs) Uh, but who knows? I mean, the three-point line came in later. I mean, do you think there's going to be a five-pointer? I well, mean, well, there's already. I think there's a four-pointer in that one league, the big three. Yeah, isn't there a four-pointer? I think right. so. Right. I know I didn't hear about that, but you know, and with with the three-point line, you know, everybody's wanting to shoot three-pointers, and uh, that skill has developed where maybe. In yesteryears, you maybe had one good ball handler. You might have had one good outside shooter. And now uh, everybody's got to be able to shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. even, even a big kid shoot. And you, you see in college, in the NBA, you know, they'll trail with their center. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan fan, and I watch yes. uh, John Teske, who's 7-1. And yeah. he'll trail, and they'll kick it back to him, and he nails a three. There he is. 100%. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the listeners know, I, th- I think they do, that I'm a Michigan fan as well, Keith, and you knew that. And so I, yes. I, I definitely agree. Teske has developed his shot tremendously. Like, it, it's crazy the transformation he's done. Are y'all talking about football or basketball? It's right basketball. Now? John Teske, he's a seven-footer. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize Michigan had a basketball team. Oh, okay. Tournaments. I'm, uh, gearing, up for that, tournaments I'm or? gearing up for that big football game this weekend. That's true, Ohio State. <laughs> but that's another podcast. Um, yeah, no, like you said, like three pointers. I mean, they could change the game. Now you have to have shooters. Even the big guys got to shoot prime example, John Teske from Michigan. Um, but what are some other things, Keith, that Keith champion, uh, that, uh, maybe it's like the little things that matter or, or like the intangibles, you know, that a team would need, um, you know, in, in today's coaching. Well, I've always felt that coaching is more than X's and O's. And if the three of us were, were in the same league and we were coaching, we'd, we'd all run different offenses probably. 
we'd all have our different X's and O's, uh, uh, and and all those would be fine. But I think as a coach, our goal is to get the get the players to do what we want them to do, and and the X's and O's don't do that. It's the coach that does that. Mm-hmm. And and I've I've always said that. Coaching is more than X's and O's. It's about relationships and just knowing your players. Hmm. Uh, my son was a coach for 12 years down in Tallahassee, Florida, and it thrilled my heart one day in a phone call. He called and he said, you know, Dad, I've just figured out that coaching is more about relationships than X's and O's. And, yeah. and that, made me, that made me feel great because I think that's where it's at. And uh, it's uh, – and it's how you manage the intangibles. You know, the intangibles are those things that, you know, you can't measure. Now, you can measure height, uh, weight, speed, uh, agility, shooting percentage. Uh, you know, analytics are big today. You know, what, what players are doing each time down the court, uh, points per possession, all that. Um, those, those are things that can be measured, and those things definitely are important. But the intangibles are things like your attitude, your effort, uh, being coachable, uh, desire, determination, leadership, perseverance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if you don't have those things, the players aren't going to be able to run your offense either. So I think mm-hmm. all those are just real keys to the game and how you handle those things. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I think, I've done a little bit of coaching here on the side, um, and I've noticed, you know, <clears throat> there can be talented kids, like super talented, just natural talent. Like they pick up a ball and they can shoot, you know, or dribble like crazy in the game of soccer uh, that I'm talking about. And some of those kids have this the worst attitude. And they're almost, I mean, you can't coach them because they think they already know it all. It's like, no, look, I know how to shoot. <laughs> I already know how to do all these things and I'm the best. But like having an attitude, like a coachable attitude is is so much better for both you as a coach and also as a player to develop even more. Um, and I think there's a good thing that Tim Tebow said. He's like, um, when talent doesn't work hard, hard work beats talent every day. You know, and I think hard work is one of those intangibles. I think you hit in that um, your attitude, your 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 uh, you know perseverance, you know, getting through the failures, you know, getting back up again once you're going to get knocked down. Like having a proper mindset is huge as a player, um, as well as in business. Yeah. So it goes for a lot of things. Yeah, I really like what you said. You know, and it's as a, as a coach, how do you get your players? To how do you pull that out of your players? How do you pull the effort to pull the perseverance? Uh, I had a couple of high school coaches that I would run through the wall for. Uh, how do you, you know, as I look back, how, what characteristics in those coaches made me want to do that? And it wasn't their X's and O's. Uh, it was their relationships with the players that did that. And, yeah. and I think that's a, that's a real key. Yeah, I love that. I, I agree 100%. Um, what, you know, I would, I mean, I'm kind of curious to know, because um, I, I definitely agree with you on the relationship 
over the X's and O's. And But if we were talking X's and O's in your vast years of coaching, do you have kind of a go-to offense that is like your default if you could choose? Or do you typically like to see your players and develop an offense around your players? Or do you have kind of a go-to offense that you just love? Um, you know, I, I would be interested to get your thoughts on that. Well, the game has, has changed so much that um, the last year I coached before I <clears throat> came to Bob Jones was 2012. Mm. And <clears throat> we, we were able to take a team to the national tournament. And there were 12 teams at the NCCA national tournament. And our team was one of those. But only four of us ran set plays and set offenses. Oh, okay. And – the other eight teams were, were running reading react and dribble drive and yeah uh, so I would say a lot of my offenses were, were old school yeah uh, I, I still think some would work today fine but I used to like to run the one four high a lot yeah because that would give us three point shots and post ups um, and I used to love to post players up inside yeah um, for Travis, I just read this morning about Juwan Howard. Yeah. And he wanted to build his offense in Michigan around John Teske again, not at the top of the circle, but in the post. Oh. Uh, because because teams are going to, to smaller lineups that are quicker and they're better shooters. And he wanted to take advantage of his center being 7-1. And he made the comment, he said, I know it's a little old school, but this is what we're going to do. Yeah. I like and so I still think there's a, there's a place for it. Uh, but because of so many good athletes that you have on the court today, uh, I read and react offenses, uh, teaches the players how to play basketball, not just how to follow a, a, a pattern or a play. Yeah, that makes sense. I would think that big man – if you do run that offense, I would think the biggest thing you would want to look for is a big man that knows how to pass. Because if he gets mm. off, you get obviously if he's getting that mismatch down there, he can take advantage of it. But if he's got good instincts and can see double teams and collapses, then he's going to probably create a bunch of open shots. And that's that's a real key. And as I was watching some games last night, I was watching our team play. You know, so much is driving to the hole and kicking and uh, and getting the ball in the paint. And basically, that's what we used to do is we just posted people up. We wanted the ball to be in the paint uh, so people would collapse. But now we're doing it more on the dribble, which is all good. You know, both are good ways. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Keith. Uh, I really appreciate, man, your time and all your your insight on the intangibles of the game and – obviously how the game has changed over the years of your coaching. And uh, I think it was really good insight for coaches to hear um, about, you know, obviously the intangibles I think are super important. Sometimes they're overlooked, honestly, because uh, I think a lot of scouts maybe that are out there are just looking for the raw talent, but maybe that kid's attitude is absolutely rotten, you know, and may not be a good fit for the program. So I think definitely that's something that will intrigue coaches' minds and, and make them think again, or maybe think twice about a player too, about, Hey, is this kid's attitude in the right place? Is he, you know, the intangibles I think are huge. So thank you for sharing your thoughts on all of that. We really appreciate your time for that. 
I appreciate that, and it's a it's a thrill to uh, be able to support 323 Sports and all that you uh, do. And uh, it's just uh, great being with you and Keith today, Travis. So I appreciate it a lot. Yes, thank you, and Keith, thank you for your insight, Keith, as well. Hey, thank you. I, I'm glad to be on here. I I really appreciate Coach Champion and uh, the last six years, 323 is almost six years old and, uh, I've known coach champion since we started and he's been, you know, he may or may not know, but he's been a big encouragement to us the last six years and just really appreciate his support and prayers and, you know, uh, just his support has been a real big encouragement to us these, these several years. So he's like a coach to us, you know, in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? That's right. I think hey, he's glad, glad to be able to do it. I love that. Well, Thanks again, man, and uh, go blue. Hey, go blue, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you too, Coach. We'll talk to you soon. And with that, that concludes our episode for this month. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about who we are and what we do, check out our website at 323sports.com. Also, guys, be sure to check out our social media platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We post daily stories on Instagram, so make sure you have fun and engage with us. As always, don't forget to do it right. Right.